You may be seated. Thank you, Aaron, for saying one of the words that I love to sing is awesome. Awesome. I, I did a study in the scriptures one time, and that word awesome is always connected with God. It's always connected with Him. And I realized how much I was using that word away from God. And so I made a determination. This is not a hard and fast rule, but I made a different determination that I would not use that word unless I was talking about God. So I, I took awesome out of my vocabulary unless I was addressing God. And so anytime it comes up, I go, oh, I get to say the word. I get to say awesome. Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. Welcome to Washer Community Church. My name is Adam Wolfgang and I'd like to extend a special welcome to our visitors this morning. We are so glad that you are here this morning and worshiping with us. We're a gathered group of Christians who are here to worship our God and also to discover, to go, and develop to make disciples. And we are committed to follow after the two greatest commands that you'll hear in the sermon this morning, to love God and to love others, to love others. So I have a few announcements this morning. I hope you got a bulletin this morning, one of those green sheets. It has everything listed there. But we want to tell you about some things that are happening. Um, youth group is starting on Wednesday night. It, this is a special startup session. So we want the parents to be that can be there to be there and meet the, the youth team. Um, there's a couple things in your chairs. One is an invite, so if you have somebody you want to invite, say, hey, we have a youth group that's happening on Wednesday night. The second thing is this little prayer card, and take that home and stick it on your refrigerator, and every Wednesday night, remember to pray for the youth group as they, as they get together. Another thing on Wednesday night is the Luke study that Pastor Robert is teaching here in the foyer at 7th, on the 7th at 6.30 p.m., there's also another sign-up sheet in the foyer for the survey says. So on September 18th, September 18th, following the second service, we're going to have a meal together, and then we're going to come back together, and you'll get to see what the survey says that you, many of you took online. Thank you for doing that. And then the last one is men's breakfast. There's a men's breakfast that's coming up the last Saturday in September. And there's a sign-up sheet out there. We've got about 35 guys so far, but we want to see, get as many of the men together as we possibly can on that day. So that's, that's our announcements this morning. So I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward while they're coming forward. And we prepare to give and worship to God in this way. I want to remind us of our our person that we are praying for this Sunday as our missionary is Alice Bosveld, and he's with Reach Global, and we're so thankful to pray for Alice because he, he was part of this church. He came out of this church and is using his gifts and talents for the Lord, so let's remember him in prayer. So let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and we do thank you for all of our missionaries, but specifically this morning. We want to pray for Alice and, and the work that he is doing that takes him all over the United States to places in crisis. Uh, continue to be with him and his wife and child and just protection upon them, um, but also guide them. Uh, guide him specifically in all the conversations that he will have 
with people whose lives have been turned upside down because of crisis. So be with Alice this morning. And Lord, with our service, and specifically, we have the opportunity to give our tithes and our offerings to you, to the ministry of this church. May we give with a cheerful heart. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. If I preach really fast, I'll get through this sermon this morning. Um, if you didn't get a sermon outline, feel free to raise your hand and, and some of the ushers will get you one if you want one of those. Um, Wade, can you turn this microphone back on? On the count of three, say, hi, Stephanie. One, two, three. Yeah, she watches every Sunday, so. Yeah, and I'm going to get her. So, and she's looking forward to being here. Um, just as, so I'm preaching this Sunday, next Sunday, next Sunday, uh, your newly affirmed um, Elder Scott Kingston will be bringing the message next Sunday, so be here for that. That's going to be a great time. Um, and then the Sunday after that, on the 18th, we will be, I will be back, and we'll be back in First Peter uh, chapter 3, chapter 3. So that's kind of the outline of it. So this is another standalone sermon that I titled, um, the Christian mandate, the Christian education um, mandate. Um, I kind of teased it a couple weeks ago with singing, everybody ought to go to Sunday school, Sunday school, Sunday school. And then how we sang it, the mamas and the papas and the boys and the girls, everybody ought to go to Sunday school. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians 6 and Deuteronomy 6. So that's kind of easy to remember that this morning. Um, but what I was going to say, what I was going to say, or way I was going to start this sermon, I was, I was going to go um, to this, uh, it's not on your sheet, I was going to go to this five-year-old survey um, that surveyed, is national-wide, it surveyed a thousand people, a thousand people in the age range of 20 to 29 years old, and they were raised in church, but they don't go to church anymore, okay, that was the group. They were raised in church, but they didn't go to church anymore. And, and they had like 78 questions that they asked them. And, and as I was going through that and I was pulling out different questions, I was going to do about 25 of them, you know, kind of thing. It got so depressing. And I was like, oh, man, I can't keep, I can't do this. We'll all walk out of here with our heads, you know, kind of thing. But there was one thing that really stuck out to me in the survey was that lots of times when our kids go off to college, when our kids go off to college, that's when we're really concerned about it, and we're concerned about, um, like, we're going to miss them physically, yes, but lots of times when our kids go off to college, sometimes we lose them spiritually. We lose them spiritually, and so we're concerned about that. But that survey, the thing in the survey that showed, it said that that transition, that transition started in middle school. In middle school, that that transition, that we're starting to lose them spiritually, in middle school, so in the middle time of, of raising our children, we were starting to lose them. And the middle time that we have them as a church, we were starting to lose them. And that was probably the biggest thing that impacted me on that survey was that, wow, okay, this, is, this mandate, this Christian education mandate is really, really important. Well, let me go back to that. Here's the statement I'm working off of this morning. The church is not a substitute, but rather a supplement to the home substance. Okay, there's, this Christian education mandate is directed at the home. 
It's directed at the home, the substance that's happening in the home. And I'm fearful that many times what we have done is we have bypassed that substance that's supposed to be happening in the home. And we've said, well, the church can do that. And the church has become the substitute for the substance that's supposed to be in the home, where in reality, the church is just a supplement, a supplement to the substance that's happening in the home. So that's the premise I'm working off of this morning. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 4, I'll read this in its entirety as the reading of God's Word this morning. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's Give a short prayer here. God, thank you for your words this morning. And God, thank you for the word made flesh. And God, thank you for the word revealed by your spirit this day. In thy precious name, amen. Amen. So if we go back just through these four verses to start off here, he says obey. He says children obey. The word obey means listen to hearken. It means that you're gathering this information, but you're gathering it to actually apply it. So you're not just listening to it. You're actually listening so that you can put it into action. That's what that word obey means. Then he says obey your parents. It's in the plural. So he's talking about both mom and dad. So mom and dad are both doing this, both giving instruction. And then it says in the Lord, in the Lord. He's saying children in the Lord. So he's talking to saved children. He's talking to the ones who look at Jesus as their master, as the one whom they belong to. And, and, and that goes along with our study in 1 Peter, because in 1 Peter he says, all these things that we are to do are because we are in the Lord. He is the highest. And because we have this relationship with him, this is how we respond. And so he's talking to these children who are saved, saying, because of your relationship with the Lord, this is what we are to do. We are to obey our parents. And uh, as we saw last week, lots of times what Paul will do is he'll say something important in one place, and then he'll say it again in another place. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, to this church, he says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So if we kind of put those together, Paul says in Ephesians, this is right. Well, what is right? He says in Colossians, what is right is what pleases the Lord. Then he goes to verse 2, and he says, okay, let's get some Old Testament um, backing to this. Old Testament backing to what I just taught you. He says, honor, honor, fix a value. You establish a value on who? Your father and your mother. Notice there again, that both are identified. Both are identified. And where's he going to? He's going to Exodus chapter 20. He's going to the first uh, recording of the Ten Commandments. And this is commandment number five. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, it says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And I put up there, this is pre-wilderness just to kind of get the flow of what's happening here. They have come out of Egypt. Moses is leading them. They've come out of Egypt. They get to Mount Sinai. 
God writes these Ten Commandments on stone tablets that come down. He comes down from the mountain and he, and he gives them the commandments from God and this is one of them. Now, if we go back to our passage in Ephesians, he goes on in verse 3 to say that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, there's another time that the commandments are recorded, and that's in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. And, but he's writing it to a different group now. See, the first group came out of Egypt, and they got to the edge of the promised land. And do you remember this song where they sent 12 spies into the promised land? Do you remember this one? 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were good. What did they see when they spied on Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and tall. Some saw great clusters as they fall. Some saw God ruled over all. Ten were bad and two were good. You're all looking at me like, what was that? What was that? Yeah. See, this all ties in. It really does. It all ties in. Who did they go with? Who did they go with? Did they go with the two that were good or the ten that were bad? And what was the ten that were bad? And they went along with their report instead of, instead of Joshua and Caleb saying, we can take the land. Why? Because God has told us that we can. And so what happens? They wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. God sustains them. But none of those in that generation would go into the promised land. It would be the next generation that would go into the promised land, the children of those. And so now Moses is reiterating again, this command is for you, the post-wilderness children who are now grown up, who are now going into the promised land. Another great one, I'll flip to here just so you see it again in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 40. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 40, he says, Keep his decrees and commands which I'm giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you. Now, so he's writing this to the second generation that have come out of Egypt. Okay? Before they're going into the promised land. So he's taking a command from the first generation, applying it to the second generation, and then what is Paul doing in the first century now? He's taking this command and he's applying it in the first century to the children to obey their parents. And there's tremendous benefits to obedience. I think we are in the situation we are in in our world because we have not been obedient. I think there are times that we have taken the black and the white and we have made it gray. And in what a world, our world would be drastically different. Our church would be drastically different if we would obey. There's tremendous benefit to your family, to the church, to a community when the people of God obey. And they're doing it, why? Because they're of the Lord. They're in the Lord. And that obedience is a powerful, powerful thing. So, then he goes on to, he mentions fathers. But I hope you see here that this is a a primary role, but not the sole role. 
because in this situation, he said a couple of times, mothers and fathers. But he directs the fathers at this point. He knocks on the door. He knocks on the door and he says, is John home? <laughs> you know, because this is your primary role, but not your sole role. You and your wife both do this together. And we see that in Proverbs, just another place to re- reiterate this. Right out of the gate in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. See how both are mentioned there. If you go over to chapter 6, verse 20, you'll hear it again. It says, My son, keep your father's commands, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So both are there. But he says to the fathers, the ones, this is their primary role, they're the lead on this. He says, do not exasperate. He gives the negative first. He says, don't raise your children this way that provokes anger. Do not do that. And he just gives a little blurb there. He wants to talk more about the positive. He says, but this is the way you do that. You bring them up. The word for bring them up means nourish or feed. You're nourishing your children. You're feeding your children the things of God. In chapter 5, verse 29, it it uses that same phrase when he's talking about our body. We feed and nourish our bodies. We love our body so much. We feed and nourish it. So he's saying, feed and nourish your children, your children, in the training of the Lord and in the instruction of the Lord. So the main part there is of the Lord. Where are we getting the training and where are we getting the instruction? It's coming from the Lord. The Lord is where we're getting our instruction from that we give to our children. And sometimes when we talk about discipline, we, we, we kind of go to the extreme on that all the time. But one of the greatest passages on discipline is Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 5. And as he talks about discipline here, listen to all the aspects of this discipline, of this training. He says, and you have forgotten the word of encouragement. So he ties encouragement in with discipline that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. So part of discipline is at times you have to say, no, this is wrong. This is wrong because the Lord disciplines those he loves. So now there's a love element that is in that discipline. It's coming out of love. And he punishes everyone he accepts as sons. Yeah, sometimes in discipline, there are consequences that we need to walk through for our benefit, for our absolute benefit. Then he says, endure hardship as discipline. So look at those things that you're walking through that are hard in life and look at those as opportunities for what? The next verse says, God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? He says that like a, this is oxymoron. Wait, like, like that would never happen. That's, that's not going to happen. No, every father disciplines his son. If you are not disciplined, and then he says, and everyone undergoes discipline, so he says, because this doesn't even make sense, me saying someone is not disciplined by the father. Then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all have human fathers who dis- disciplined us, And we respected them for it. Now, it doesn't say there immediately. It doesn't say immediately that we respect them for it. 
How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. And that's usually about 18 years. You're under the roof and you discipline them. And, and, and our fathers are human. Our fathers did the best that they could do. Now he compares that with God, your father. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. How long does the, God the Father discipline us? Our whole lives. Our whole lives so that we might be holy as he is holy. That we might be like him. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. See, not immediately, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness. It produces a harvest of right living and peace. Peace with God for those who have been trained by it. Those who have been trained by it. So now let's jump to the Old Testament. And let's look where he's pulling a lot of this from. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This makes it easy to remember where this mandate is. Ephesians 6, Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 25. Again, remember, he's writing to that post-wilderness. They're entering, they're going to be entering into the promised land. He says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws of the Lord your God directed me, me Moses, to teach to you to observe the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and the commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Let me stop right there. Notice he, he addresses three generations. He says, look at yourself. He says, look at your children. And then look at their children. So your grandchildren. How many have grandchildren? Woo, yeah, I got nine of them. So don't think you, oh, I can check out of this sermon because, you know, this is really for the parents who still have kids at home and this is all for them. Uh-uh. No, when he says, talking about Christian education, about this mandate, you think about three generations. You're thinking about three generations. Verse 3, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God of the fault fathers has promised you here again this is active listening he says hear and then he says be careful to obey so what you are going to hear you're not just hearing it to gather more knowledge you are hearing it so that you can apply it to your life okay that's the reason that's the message behind that so verses four through six is the shema uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And what do you, do, you know, remember Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus do? He quoted that. He quoted that, the Shema. He said, this is the greatest commandment to love God. And so that's where it starts. You look at yourself and say, okay, I need to love God. If I'm going to do this Christian education mandate to my family, I first off, I need to love God. Then he goes to commandment number two, because remember when Jesus was asked, he said, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, look at who the others is. He goes to in verse seven, impress them on your children. So who's the others that we are to love? Our children in this passage Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So here's the second command to love others. And he gives two different things here. He says, impress and talk. Now, the word for impress, it, it, it means that this is action oriented. It's, it's like sharpening something. And so when we impress this upon our children, we're actually actively doing something with them for them to learn, okay? And then he says talk. And when he says talk, that word means speak or vocalize. So this is instruction-oriented. So you have action-oriented and instruction-oriented. And in the Scriptures, lots of times when it gives you two different things like that, impress and talk, Then it will switch back around and say, let's talk about talk first, and then we'll talk about impress. So the talk options. He says, when do you need to talk? When do you need to talk about God? Well, when you sit at home. When you sit at home. I think of meal times. I think of evening times when you're gathered together. Those are excellent times to verbalize and talk with one another about God. He says, then when you walk along the road. That's your outings. That's the time in the car. That's vacation times. That's the times that are special times that that are in your life already and you're moving that you have an opportunity to talk to them about God. And then he says when you lie down. That's bedtime routines. What a great time to talk with your children and your grandchildren maybe, if you have grandchildren with you, about the Lord and to pray with them. And then when you get up, that's morning routines. When you gather around the table, And you start off the day, and you start off the day talking about God. So he gives us these four different times that you could possibly vocalize about God. Second one was impress. Now let's go to that one, the action-oriented. He said, tie them as symbols on your hands. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Give them things that they can create or that they can hold even onto. It's a tool for them to remember about their God. You know, how might, why do we do crafts at VBS? Just to fill up the time. No. <laughs> no, we do those crafts because usually they're centered around something that they can look back at that and go, wow, here's something I can hold in my hand, but I was learning something about God during that time. He says, bind them on their, your foreheads or the, the frontlets of your eyes, some other versions say. What do you do? You help them to remember things, think about things. So we help them memorize things. And we put these little ditties in front of them, and I sing all these songs to you, you know, kind of thing. Because I'm I'm feeding my mind with how to think about something. Next one, write them on the door frames. This is the home connection. Do you have things in your home that point them to Jesus? Or there's, there's things that you do in your home, actively in your home, That in the home, they know that this is a place where God is honored. God is honored. And then the last one, um, we write them on your gates. The gate is where you would leave. Okay? You're leaving your property. Write it on your gates so that when they go out into society, they have things that they can draw back upon. Moses is saying to all these people, these going into the promised land, these are ways that you can... Fulfill this Christian education mandate by talking to your children and also giving them some tools. And again, I couldn't help but think, you know, maybe this is where this song came from. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. Now, some you got to know this one. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. 
For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little hands, what you touch. And you can go to eyes and ears and feet, where you go, where you go. Well, he goes on in this passage in verse 10 through 12 to give a focus on what God has done. Verse 10, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. Notice that, did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. He wants you to know this. He wants you to notice that. Wait a minute. These are things you did not do. Then he says, then you will eat and be and are satisfied. But be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Boy, you're going to be walking into this beautiful land and you did nothing to get it. It's all been provided for you. Can I zip us ahead 2,000 years? 4,000 years. Can I zip us ahead and say to us that we don't, we don't have the promised land of Israel in a sense of, of being a Christian. Our promised land is where? It's heaven. It's heaven. Eternity with Him. And did you do anything to earn it? No. Did you do anything? Did you put a block in heaven and, and set up heaven? No. But you're going to inherit, you're going to inherit a place that you did not build. You're going to feast in a place where you did not provide the meat. And we should never forget, we should never forget what Jesus has done so that we might have and be with him in that glorious promised land. That we would never forget that. I think we get in trouble when we do. When we start to forget that he is the one who has provided everything that you need. If you don't know Jesus this morning, oh, I tell you, he, he provides everything. And if he's calling you, that you would do, take that step of repentance and obedience and rise up to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because I see this morning, he has provided everything that I need. He's done it all. And he's calling out to me. So, verse 13 through 19 Every good writer will take you back again to commandment number one. He says, let's talk about love God again. Verse 13, fear the Lord your God, serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God, whom is among you, is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God as you did in Massa. And in Massa, that's where they stopped and they said they were complaining again. And they were saying, oh, it would have been better if we just stayed back in Egypt. Oh, it was so much better back in Egypt. Be sure to keep your commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you. You may go in and take over the good land the Lord has promised on oath to your forefathers, thrusting out all the enemies before you as the Lord said. So he goes back to commandment number one. He says to the parents, he says to the parents, and maybe grandparents at that time too, he says, love God. And the big point he brings out, no other idols. That's the main thing he says to us. 
If we're going to fulfill this Christian education mandate with our children and our grandchildren, we've got to make sure that we have no other idols, that God is supreme in our lives. The problem is, is when we, when we don't follow that, our children are confused. They're confused. They're, they're like, wait a minute, I'm getting two different signals here. My parents say, yes, God is number one, but, but their lives at times, it doesn't match up to that. So I put down there, what are some common idols of the day? Well, some of them that I've seen of the day are our schedule. Sometimes our schedule gets so busy that God gets pushed out of it. Sometimes the idol of comfort. And we go toward comfort rather than what God wants us to do, and comfort wins. Um, How about sports? How about hobbies? How about anything that puts God on the back seat rather than in the driver's seat of your life? How about affluence? So many options that we have. So many options that we have. And lots of times God is the last one that is considered in that. And I'm going to close with one more here. Um, Identity. In our world today, identity has become a God. My identity. My identity. And we, we tag so much onto that, and we make it a God. And you have to stop and say, Ooh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. When I became a follower of Jesus Christ, I am to deny myself. I am to deny my very self. I am to deny my identity because I am taking up whose identity? Jesus Christ. My identity now is solely centered on Him. Everything about Him. I think so many times we're messed up in this world because Christians have went along the route of some identity that they have raised up to a place that shouldn't be. I'm not saying that identity, I'm a, I'm a man, I'm white, I'm, I grew up in a little tiny small town, you know, in Michigan kind of thing. All those things are identity me, but they never take the place that my identity is I am a follower of Jesus Christ. It is always supreme in my life. It needs to always be supreme. As I said before, sometimes our children get confused about this because we say that God is number one, but our lives don't show it. And so he tells the parents and the the grandparents, he says, main point here, no idols. Don't put something else in in front of God. And then he goes back, I'll wrap it up here, 20 through 25, he's going to commandment number two again, love others. In the future, when your son asks you, so here's your child asking you something, look what he says. What is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws of the Lord God has commanded you? So he's asking the question, look at where the parent or grandparent goes. Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us a land that he promised the oath to our forefathers. And it continues on there. The big point here is he teach them the Bible. When they have a question, when they come to you, 
be ready to teach them the Bible. Where did this person go to? To something that God had done. He, he relayed, this is why we obey God, because God has done this. God did this for us. And so that gets me to that point of saying, do you have some tools in your toolbox for this? Do you have some, it's good to have tools in your toolbox. Do you have some tools in your toolbox as parents and grandparents that when your children or your grandchildren ask you a question, that you can go to the Bible? That you can go to something that points them to God or God giving the answer to this question? Do you have tools in your toolbox for that? Um, I don't have it up there, but a great website to go to. This one's kind of, if you want to write this down, WTS, WTSbooks.com. If you go on that website, if you go on that website, you'll see tabs on the top and it'll say children. Click the children's tab and then it'll list down even the age, age brackets. So you can click even on a specific age bracket that you have, and you click on there, and it will have tons of resources, tools, that you can put in your toolbox. So that when your children or your grandchildren ask you a question about God, you can pull that tool out of the toolbox. Uh, we've been buying books and books and books and books for our kids and our grandkids. I mean, just almost every Christmas, that's all we give to them, is all these books to help them fulfill this Christian education mandate. So much so that one of our children have went back to homeschooling, and, and they're, so they're getting curriculum for the new year, and lo and behold, there's a bunch of the books on their shelf already because Grandma and Grandpa bought them for them. You know, they're on their shelves already so that they can pull those off the shelf and say, well, this is what God's Word says. This is what God's Word says. So I go back to this. The church is not a substitute, but rather a supplement uh, to the home substance to the home substance. I hope that you saw in the passage of Scripture this morning that we're not talking about the church, we're talking about what happens in the home. And what happens in the home is that this is the starting point, this is the main place where this Christian education mandate is happening. And don't, don't make the church the substitute. It won't have the same impact. Make sure it happens in the home. And the church... The church will supplement that. So parting thought here, as a Christian, as someone who is in the Lord, of the Lord, First Peter uh, says, um, for the Lord's sake, uh, in the sight of God, mindful of God, as servants of God, keep what you say and what you do consistent before your children and your grandchildren. Keep what you say and what you do consistent before your children and your grandchildren. Now I'll finish with this. The elders of the church here have really been praying about this. They've been praying about how do we supplement the substance that is to be happening in the home? How do we, how do we offer tools to our parents and grandparents so that they got this tool to pull out so that when the little ones have a question, that we can answer or go somewhere to get an answer to that question and we can, we can direct them toward God. Elders have been praying about this a lot. And so that takes me back to everybody ought to go to Sunday school, Sunday school, Sunday school. The mamas and the papas and the boys and the girls. Everybody ought to go to Sunday school. It will make a difference 
in the life of this church when there is solid substance happening in our homes. It'll make a difference. And last thing, I always keep saying last thing, don't I? Last thing, when we look at a leader in the church, if you're, and, and there's sheets there about deacons and elders and nominating, you know one of the greatest things that we look at in a leader in the church? Where do we look? We look at their home. We look at their relationship with their spouse. We look at what's going on in the home. Why? Because that's where the substance is. The church just supplements it. So would you stand with us in prayer? So Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your words. They are so, so good. They're so practical this morning. They, they break it right down on how we are to do this. And I do pray that there would be um, parents and grandparents here that would take your words and say, okay, I need to apply these. I, I heard them, but I need to apply them. If I've got some idols in my life that, that have taken the place of you, I need to repent of that. And, if I, and, and, and Lord, direct me to some tools that I can have in my home so that when my children and grandchildren ask us things of the Lord, that I can go to those tools and tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Help us as a church to supplement. I pray for the elders as they pray about how we can supplement the, what's happening in the home. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this song to the Lord.